Welcome to Behavior Analysis in Practice, the podcast. Behavior Analysis in Practice is a podcast committed to narrowing the research practice gap and demystifying the research process. Each episode will take a deep dive into the latest work published in the journal Behavior Analysis in Practice by interviewing each paper's author about the topic. We'll explore the nuances of the paper and ask the questions you wish you could ask after reading it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Behavior Analysis and Practice, the podcast. I'm your host, Cody Morris, Assistant Professor of Behavior Analysis at Salve Regina University. Today, I have a special guest on the show, Diana Perry Cruz, to talk about her paper, Using Gamification to Promote Accurate Data Entry in Practicum Experience Hours in Graduate Students. Dr. Perry Cruz has over 15 years of experience working with children with autism and related disabilities. She received her master's degree in applied behavior analysis from Northeastern University and a doctorate in behavior analysis from Western New England University. She worked and trained at the New England Center for Children. She is currently an assistant professor in the Masters of Science and Behavior Analysis program at Regis College and is the practicum coordinator there. She is the co-director of the Regis Autism Center. Her research interests include early intensive behavioral intervention, joint attention, and higher education practices. She has presented research at numerous national conferences and is published in the Journal of Applied Behavior Analysis, Behavior Analysis and Practice, and Research and Developmental Disabilities. She is on the editorial board of Behavioral Interventions. This interview with Diana was a lot of fun. Her research is really interesting. And in full transparency, you'll see a little bit of my nerdier side come out in in this conversation as we sort of talk about the setup of this particular study. So without further ado, here is my interview with Diana Perry Cruz. Hello, Diana, and welcome to Behavior Analysis and Practice, the podcast. Hi, Cody. Thanks so much for having me. We're really excited to have you here today and to, to talk about your really, really interesting, somewhat out there paper, if I can say that, I suppose. You can. <laughs> yeah, I think you should. <laughs> it's really, really unique. It, it, when I originally saw the title, I was instantly attracted to it because it was talking about data collection, which is something I'm very interested in. And then I sort of dug into it and saw what you were doing. And I don't want to do too many spoilers because we'll dive into it. But what a really, really creative, unique way of uh, addressing a really important need. So we'll save that. I don't want to get too far into that paper. I want to first start by just asking you to give us a little bit about your background and, and sort of explain what led you to writing a paper like this. Sure. Uh, Well, I am currently an assistant professor at Regis College in the MS and ABA program here. And my background prior to coming here was 
working in the field for maybe like, I think it's been like 20 years now <laughs> that I have uh, worked with individuals with developmental disabilities. And I got my master's through Northeastern and then my doctorate through Western New England uh, while working at the New England Center for Children. And then I came over here so I could focus more on teaching and research. And my one of my roles here is the practicum coordinator for the program. So I oversee all of the practica or what are now the fieldwork placements for our students. And I came into this line of research because it is incredibly socially significant for me <laughs> as part of my job. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you talk about the importance of the fieldwork tracker. And I think everyone has experientially learned it can be a little difficult to, to fill in and stay on top of. Yeah, it is a useful tool and I'm glad that we have it, but the changes that took place when it was first introduced. So going from the pretty basic system we had before where everyone's like, yeah, I guess keep track of your hours, <laughs> turn something in at the end to, oh no, you must document time, place, time stamped every you know, moment of your entire experience. That was a huge jump in effort. Uh, and simultaneously, the modules that were provided by the BACB were removed as well. So there was a change in the expectation and also in sort of the, the learning ramp up to the fieldwork tracker that has left, I think, a big gap for some folks as far as like knowing what they need to do and how to do it. All right. Now we'll, we'll talk about the details of your paper. People are starting to get the idea, of course, that we're, we're talking about the fieldwork tracker for, for BCBA supervision. It's always difficult to know reading a paper when the work began. Is this a relatively recent project or is this more toward the beginning of the, the new experience tracker when that was released? Forgive me for not being super sure because I did a pilot version of this first then I did the version that you're looking at now. And then I have another version that's all also completed that has modifications from this one. So I'm pretty sure that was my last year's crew that did that version. So I think this was my 2019 version, summer of 2019 is when we did this study. Gotcha. So it's a relatively recent endeavor for you. Yes. Well, I, I came to read this in 2017, took over, was immediately faced with all of the changes. <laughs> Like what's happening, <laughs> and uh, and I was like, I gotta, I gotta do something to get all of this happening, right? Because it was this immense undertaking for the students to suddenly have to fill out this tracker, and for the the pilot group, I think was the group that switched over midway, and suddenly I was like, oh, actually, guys, now I need you to do this giant form, um, and they, you know, they weren't really having it, so I was like, what can I do to kind of motivate them and make this a fun. A fun thing. So I am very interested in games and gamification. And I ran across Zach Morford's article, 2014 article. And when I read that, I was like, oh, wow, there's so many ways that you can apply gamification to behavior analysis. You know, I'm kind of a nerd. So why don't I create something that I think is fun and cool <laughs> to, to try to motivate my practicum students? That's awesome. For, for those who are new to the concept of gamification, could you provide just a general overview of sort of what that concept means? Yeah, so with gamification, you're adding in 
additional elements that are going to uh, essentially function to um, motivate someone to participate in the activity and or uh, reinforce their participation within the activity. And there are many different ways that you could add in some gamified elements to whatever you know, system or structure that you have in place. And that could look like creating opportunities for competition amongst players or um, competition for themselves, right? So like increasing their own scores. Um, you could look at adding in additional condition reinforcers in the forms of points that might be able to be exchanged at the end for something. You could add in reinforcers in the form of recognition, such as awards or badges throughout the process. Uh, or you could add in thematic elements to the game. So that now you're uh, including you know, some type of journey that your characters are going on, or each level of the game is now built into, you know, moving through some type of space structure or something like that, right? You could, there's a lot of ways you could, could build those things in. So uh, because there's so many elements going into that, it's not precisely clear what component of that would produce changes in behavior, uh, but likely there's an overall enhancement effect that's going to make the engagement with the activity hopefully more reinforcing. Nice. And so you had this very practical issue that you were experiencing as a practicum coordinator. I'm sure your students were likely complaining about it themselves. At least that's my experience as a graduate program director. There's typically some frustrations around entering information. And you're like, let's check out gamification and see if this is going to help this particular issue. And so with that frame in mind, could you sort of describe the overall view of your study and, and give us a sort of a, a summary of what you did? I think so. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, right. So what we decided to do was to apply this gamified intervention to the existing practicum class, but with a new cohort. So like I referenced before, the pilot group, they had graduated. This was a new group of folks and this was their first foray into attempting the practicum, they're the fieldwork tracker. So I said, let's make it fun. We're gonna add in these additional elements so that every week I'm gonna check your tracker, which I have to do anyway, <laughs> right? Um, but I'm gonna check it to ensure that you're hitting all of these uh, points as far as the accuracy with which you're filling out the tracker. And in doing that, you're going to earn points for your group. And each, there were three classes of practicum students and each class um, functioned as a group. So the groups weren't in competition with one another. They were each on their own little um, adventure as a class in order to progress through the levels of practicum. And I titled this thing Practicum Slayer because I, we were playing a lot of D&D &D at the time. So it was really on my mind. I, um, I knew it. I was, I was, when I read this paper, I'm like, they have to be D&D &D fans, Dungeons and Dragons fans. Right, yeah. Know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, I'm probably less of one than the rest of my family is, but I, I still get to play. So it was fresh on my mind because we have been doing that a lot. This was, you know, pre-pandemic as well. So you can just imagine how things have progressed. Uh, but so I said, okay, we're gonna move through these levels of 
the, um, the little journey that my, my classes are on. And each week they're going to earn a certain number of points based on how many hours they accurately input into the field work tracker. So everyone's, it's a group activity, right? Group contingency, everyone's moving together. And when you hit a certain number of points, which is basically the certain number of hours you bump up in the, in the adventure, you get like new materials and, <laughs> and there were um, other enhancements as well. And that I wrote a little story for them. And I was like, no, your team is traveling through the forest. You can feel the snow crunching under your boots. It was like, it was seriously like that. Like I wrote like <laughs> a story. She didn't make it in the paper, which is probably for the best. Um, and they would, they encountered like all the standard, like as hokey as it could be. <laughs> Things. There was like glowing orbs and there was like an old crone and there was like a magic wolf. I think it was like all the stuff, like all the dorky stuff <laughs> was there. Um, so that happened. So they would like unlock new levels of the adventure. And there was also, this was when we had class in person, which we currently don't, hopefully that's resuming soon. Um, so each class also had this big poster, like a I have it on my wall. It's like a two foot by three foot, at least size poster that I had printed out from Staples with a black and white dragon on it. And I, in a complicated way, figured out how many points the class could earn over the course of the class and figured out what 90% of that amount of points was and then figured out how I could accurately divide my dragon poster into the proper number of squares so that each square would be worth five points, which are hours. Okay. <laughs> and this was hard to do because the classes had different numbers of people in them. And it was a multiple baseline across classes. So each class had a staggered baseline. So some classes had more weeks than others to accrue hours that were going to count towards their dragon than others did. But it, I equated it so that it was all equal right so anyway I had these giant dragons and I, then I crisscrossed drew lines over them so they were all divided into squares and then at the beginning of class I would tell everyone hey uh great job this week you get to color in however many squares it was 10 squares of your dragon and there were a lot of squares there were like 200 squares on him wow so then I I did that because I thought it would be kind of cool but also because practicum seems so stressful. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, this would be kind of like a nice, like team building thing for them to do together too, is like, you know, a little bit of self care built into class. Mm. So then while we had our class discussion, they would be coloring in the dragon as well. Awesome. Uh, yes. So uh, we went through that, the class is like 12 weeks long. And then by the end of class, uh, everyone had had gotten to the end of the adventure. And when you got to the end of the adventure, um, you you could quote unquote slay your dragon because your dragon was all colored in and you would have beaten practicum slayer. I love it. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to do too much disclosure on here, but I, I, I am familiar with Dungeons and Dragons and I'll leave that up to the imagination of the listeners as to how familiar with that game I am. But I read That's this fair. paper. I thought it was great. So you said you got a cohort of practicum students in the paper. I think you said like 15 students. And so is that like five mm -hmm. in the different sections? Is it like five per section? Or what does that look like? 
Yeah, so there were actually a few students who weren't in the study as well, who were mm -hmm. also enrolled in the classes. So I had 15 students who gave permission for their data to be included in the study. And then there were also three students who didn't give their consent to participate. And then three students who couldn't participate for other reasons. So like they had been in another practicum class before or something mm -hmm. like that. So I didn't include their data because it would not have been fair. Right. I think that's right. Because I think there were 21 total people, which is why we needed three sections of practicum because the max is 10 that you can yeah, have in yeah. class. Yes. Um, so that's how that went. And that's also why you don't see uh, all of the data for the whole class in this study because it would have included the data for the individuals who didn't participate in the study study, but they still were part of the class and contributed to the class's progress in the, in the game. Nice. Yeah. And for each of these students individually having to track their experience hours using the BACB tracker in the paper, I believe it's table one, you sort of break down the details of, how the points were assigned, depending on how they filled in the tracker, like uh, what, how you were obtaining their score, I believe. Yes, yep. So the, we looked at 10 different components for, of the, tr of the tra tracker. I think we called it the fieldwork checklist. And these were the things that every time we looked at their tracker, we were taking data on whether they did or didn't do them. So I can tell you what they are. Sure. So first of all, did they have their name on the tracker? Basic one. Yeah. Next, <laughs> did they have all the information on their supervisor tab? This one you actually think would be an easy one, but it wasn't. It was one of the highest levels of errors that we saw because people wouldn't know their supervisor's BACB number or mm -hmm. something like that, and they would leave it blank. And I was like, no, I need it in there. So that would count against them. Um, the setting tab needed to be filled in. This was never or hardly ever a problem. Uh, and then they got a, a plus if they filled in data for the week. It didn't matter if the data were perfect. They just needed to be in there. Then I checked to see if for the current month, their restricted time was 50% or less of their total time. Now, remember, this was the old version under the fourth edition. So all of these students were in intensive practicum. And at that time, it was a 50-50 split. Mm. Now it's 60-40, <laughs> unrestricted, restricted. So um, the menu options have changed. Um, but at the time it was 50-50. So that's what I was looking for. And <clears throat> just as a caveat here, I, I do know that that requirement of um, the breakdown restricted versus unrestricted 50% is, is across the entire experience, right? And it's not a monthly requirement. But because we had seen... Uh, students have such a challenge with this one in particular, I made it a requirement for each month that they meet the 50-50 because what I had seen in the past is if you don't have that set up, you can end up with students being in a really bad position at the end of their experience where they've accrued what they think is all of their hours, but it's nowhere near the percentage needed for unrestricted time, right? Uh, and there's no buffer on that until they get to the end. And all of a sudden they're like, what do you mean? Like, uh, what do you mean? I can't sit for the exam. So I never want anyone to be in that position. So that's why I require that month to month. So that's a deviation from, from the experience standards. And then um, after that, we looked to see if the supervision time was 10% or more of the total time for that month. 
We looked to see if group supervision was 50% or less of the total time for that month. Uh, and then we looked to see, based on what week of the month it was, did they have the correct number of observations so far for mm. the month? Because remember, that also has changed. Now it's one observation per month, but at the time for intensive practicum, it was four. Right. Yeah. So there's been a little bit of a leniency on that one, which this was a challenging one for, for students to meet as well. Uh, then we checked to see um, on the fieldwork tracker, you always need to uh, put in over there on the side if it's unrestricted time, what occurred during that time. So I checked to see if that was in there. And then basically just other issues, like if you do it wrong, you'll end up with negative numbers if you don't fill the right things in. So I checked right. to see for that. And then underneath the observation column, it needs to be toggled yes or no rather than left blank. So those were the final one, just like all the extras little things was like the last bullet point. So it conveniently worked out to 10, which is always nice because then you can do the math really easy. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I was checking for each student. Each week I was looking to see, did they meet all of these requirements and were the hours that they put in hitting the right percentages for the fieldwork standards at the time. Now, what I didn't know and what I can't ever really know is were the data that they were putting into the tracker accurate. Mm. So that remains a limitation. Right, yeah. I mean, and unless you're gonna follow them around all week, how are you really gonna figure that out? Yeah. How were the students submitting the tracker for you? Were they emailing it to you? Were they putting it like in a Dropbox or something every week or what did that look like? Yeah, we, we have a secure OneDrive folder that operates within the college. So we just keep, keep it there. And that way we can both access it and edit it without having to like move it around or email it or have multiple versions. So luckily that was easy. Nice. And so that's just something they would up, update it within that. So you could actually probably see even live updates, but you're mostly just checking mm -hmm. it once a week then. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nice. And so once a week they come in for their meetings, you're checking their tracker. That would include everything that we just spoke about in the, in the point breakdown, you had your key set up for what the points equated to, which you're saying previously is, is like points toward slaying the dragon. Can you talk about how the story component was involved as they were earning their points and progressing? Yeah, so, th so they earned points predominantly for correctly inputting hours into the tracker. So if they didn't get these things right, if they didn't have 100% in all the 10 things I just mentioned, they didn't get credit for that week. Hmm. Now they could, next week, if they did a good job, they get credit for all the hours that hadn't been accounted for thus far. Uh, but they also got some other minor points for other things. So they would get points for um, doing the tracker at all. <laughs> they got a few points for that. And then there are also, um, a few assignments related to the class that I gave them points for too, because those are also socially significant for me to try to have them complete those on time. Uh, so I had set it up. So I think that there were 14 little vignettes that I had written intending for it to be one a week, right? Cause there was, I think 14 weeks of the class, maybe in this version, there was 12 weeks in the class. Sorry. I think there were 12 weeks in the class. So I looked again to see, how many points they needed to accrue based on how many people were in the class and then divided that by 
I think 14, because I think there were 14 stories. And then that number of points was how many were needed to unlock the next level of the story. So I would, you know, do these calculations as I was going through their trackers, look what the total add up was for the class. And then we had, we used Moodle as our LMS system. So I had a practicum slayer discussion board in there. <laughs> and I would, um, I would post for them, congratulations, you have moved on to level six. And then I would post the story in there, which also sends it to their emails. So that was how they got updates related to the story. Uh, and I would also put in how many, how many points they were up to as a class. I didn't send anyone their individual points. It was just intended to be as a class. And the story was really just meant to sort of enhance and hopefully motivate people to participate. I don't know if it really functioned that way, <laughs> um, but it was fun for me. And I had at least a few people say that it was fun for them. And at the very least they could see that I was trying. <laughs> <laughs> Where did the story inspiration come from? Was this just something like, yeah, obviously we talked about it being in some ways related to Dungeons and Dragons, but was, is, was that the sort of motivation behind it or the theme behind it? I, I think so. I don't have any recollection other than I said, I'm going to print out these big dragons. <laughs> <laughs> and have you ever considered like making the, the vignettes available if people want to replicate this study? <laughs> sure. They can totally have them. <laughs> okay. So if you're interested, you can, you can email Diana, I'm sure yep. would, would be happy to provide them. You bet. So please enjoy. <laughs> So you talked about sort of what the overall process looked like what, from the student's perspective they were experiencing. Can you talk a bit about your experimental design and, and what that looked like, how you set that up? Mm -hmm. So it was designed to be a multiple baseline across classes. And what that meant was we had a limited amount of time, right? There's only 12 weeks in this class and I was really only gathering data one time a week. So what that meant was I, I needed to try to fit in this staggered multiple baseline into a relatively short period of time. So uh, we randomly assigned classes to be A, B, and C. And class A only had two weeks in which they were in baseline. Class B had three and class C had four. So that gave us you know, enough of a staggered baseline that we could make assessments regarding, you know, prediction of continuance of baseline versus the changes in level that we saw when we implemented intervention, um, as well as an opportunity to see uh, a fairly, hopefully long enough data path in intervention to see some changes over time, which we did. We saw for all of our groups, although it was a relatively slow start uh, for, for some of them. And what did that baseline phase look like exactly? How did you set that up? Right, so in baseline, they had already had an introduction to the fieldwork tracker. I provided them with some pre-practicum training materials related to the fieldwork requirements. So they knew what the requirements were. And I provided them with the video from the BACB that goes over how to make the tracker. I'm sorry, mm -hmm. how to fill in the tracker. However, these materials were all, were all provided to them as a self-study. 
So I didn't keep track of whether they did them or didn't do them. And uh, I said, okay, now it's, now it's practicum time, everyone. Uh, time to fill out your tracker. So uh, they all, I you know, gave them a tracker in the OneDrive with their name on it. And then I would um, go in each week for, for them, even when they were in baseline and provide them feedback on the, in the note section and say, you know, I, the same feedback I would give anyone your restricted percentage is too high. It's right. <laughs> basically the feedback I always gave. Um, th those types of things. So they received that level of instructions and slash training, and then that level of feedback hmm. in baseline. And then after that, it moves into the gamification phase. Mm -hmm. And then maintenance. What exactly did maintenance look like? Uh, maintenance looked just like baseline in that... That, that group, which was class A, had reached the end of their practicum journey. <laughs> they slayed the dragon and they managed to do so in week 11 of the class. So they moved pretty rapidly through the levels of the, of the story that they had available. And that meant that they received the reinforcers that were available, uh, or they were putative reinforcers, I don't know for sure. Um, I, I sort of chose them. I said, I'll get everybody apps at the end of the course if, you know, if you do it. And, uh, and so that class did it in time for us to be able to celebrate in week 12. Uh, but there was no, no further uh, story for them to read or dragon to fill in. And they had already received the reinforcer. So then that final week for them, week 12, was just back to me checking the tracker and giving them the feedback. Nice. And so could you, could you summarize the results of what we see on your graph? Yeah, so for all groups in baseline, uh, none of the participants completed their tracker with 100% accuracy. Uh, and then we implemented the gamification components in a staggered fashion across these classes. And for, for two of the groups, class A and class C, we saw, uh, you know, fairly robust immediate change in responding, although really still only to low to moderate levels. And then for class B, we saw a slight increase that very first week that the gamification was introduced, but it was um, a little bit lower. It was still only around 20% for that initial group. And then for all groups, we saw a somewhat variable but increasing trend over the course of the gamification components and what I forgot to throw in there and mention to, to you, Cody, was that around week nine or 10, we were seeing a lot of variability in the data. Mm. And some, some groups were still really struggling to have some of their group members complete this thing with 100% accuracy. And the data that you see here are only the percentage of people who had 100%, right? It wasn't like, oh, you did your tracker, okay, and you got 60%. Those data aren't on here. It is did you do it perfect or not perfect? Because the BACB uh, wants perfect, Yeah. right? Yeah. And that's why you see those fluctuations in the data because sometimes someone would rock it one week and the next week would be like, what, are you, what happened, right? Like, where's your observation or, or where's your, you don't have enough supervision or whatever it might be, right? So it was up and down in that sense. So around weeks nine or 10, we're seeing a good amount of variability in some of the data. So we added in an additional reinforcement component, which was if you, if your class beats the dragon, then you get an extra point of extra credit. So we added that in. I don't think that the data would 
uh, suggests that that made a big increase in changes in responding, but that's what the asterisk is on there. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. However, good news, by the time we got to week 12, all of the classes had in fact reached the end of their dragon. So they had accrued enough practicum hours <laughs> in order to beat the story and slay their dragon. And that was uh, you know, due largely in part to the data that you see here, but keep in mind, the larger class was also contributing too, right? right. So I don't have those data necessarily to show, but we see an increasing trend um, for all groups, class A and class B had all participants completing their trackers with 100% accuracy at the end of the study, and class C had 80% of their participants completing the tracker at 100%. Yeah, I guess I hadn't originally caught on to the fact that it's the percent of the class with 100% accurate completion or appropriate completion which is in many ways a higher standard than had you just averaged the group data. And so while you don't see this huge immediate jump up, I imagine that because this is a more conservative measure, that's why you're, you're seeing it sort of slowly increase, ultimately reaching you know pretty decent levels. But that's probably why you don't see it immediately yeah. go to the top. That makes a lot of sense. Wow. Yeah, it wasn't easy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I've, I've done a few studies or attempted a few studies anyway, related to practicum supervision. I, I know how difficult it can be to organize something like this and pull it off. And I wasn't writing these vignettes <laughs> related to slaying a dragon. So just the, the effort required in something like this is to not be understated. I can only imagine how much work it must have been. <laughs> Thanks. Well, I'm just doing my job. So you know, that's the thing. It's like, if I'm going to do this for my job and I want to do it the best that I can do it, then I might as well take the time to contribute to the science as yeah. well, because I'm going to keep doing it. Well, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If, if you're doing things, all of us have to be providing high quality services, supervision, whatever we focus on. Typically, it's not that many more steps to collect high quality data and potentially be able to share it and, and benefit the larger field for sure. Right. Yeah. Now, in addition to looking at the completeness of the, the BACB tracker, you also targeted a social validity uh, or targeted social validity through a questionnaire. Can you tell us a little bit about what that looked like and what those results were? Yeah. So at the end of the study, we sent out a questionnaire uh, that the students or the participants could complete anonymously. And it had kind of your standard questions on here. So it was things like, I liked playing Practicum Slayer as part of my practicum experience or Practicum Slayer increased my motivation to put in my hours correctly. Um, practicum Slayer helped me work cooperatively with my class. And then, so those were kind of the three like overarching global questions about did you like this or not? And then I asked more specifically about the gamification components of the intervention that we had to see if any of them seem to be more well received than others. So the, the background here is that there's very, very little research done in gamification with graduate students, like almost none <laughs> really. Wow. Uh, and there's, you know, there's some in higher ed, but again, just not, not a lot. And because gamification is such a broad 
area. There's a lot of things that can end up in there, but the components may be quite different from one study to the next. And it can be hard to know really what were the important factors of the treatment package that have been put into place. So there were studies that evidenced that points were an important component. There were some other studies that talked about badges, which we haven't even mentioned um, yet, but, but I will. And some studies that said, oh, actually badges were no good. <laughs> um, and then there were some that talked about this like thematic enhancement component. So I asked them about each of those. I said, did you like earning points? Did you like earning badges? Did you like reading the story? And did you like coloring the dragon <laughs> itself? So um, to, to just quickly explain what the badges were, uh, for each class, after I did their trackers, I looked to see who earned the most points that week, meaning who accrued the most hours that week, and who had the most supervision hours that week. So each of those people uh, got like a special shout out basically. And I had, I don't know what they were called, almost called so supervised um, <laughs> and like top earner or something like that badges. <laughs> so, uh, so that got a shout out in Moodle as well when I posted the, the scores for the class. So those, that's what the badges were. Uh, so we asked everyone, um, using that type of just, you know, anonymous survey, how did they feel about it? We got 11 students responding out of 15, which for graduate students, I think is actually not bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, so for the question of, did they like playing it? About 80% said that they did. They fell nice. into the positive category, so that's okay. <laughs> uh, when asking them if it increased their motivation, this question, they really were not too sure on. So only 45% said anything like a yes, 27% said they didn't care one way or the other, and 27% said no. So that's good to know. Uh, and then I asked, did it help them work cooperatively with the class? This group was completely split. One was right in the middle, and then, oh, can I do my math real quick in my head? Five were on each side. So mm. Some of them were like, no, it didn't help me at all, uh, which is, you know, it, fair, right? Like, they're grownups. They don't, maybe they don't want to be doing this as teams. I don't know. Um, and then when I asked them about like each of those components, they were, they were pretty nice to me overall <laughs> in that they said 80% uh, of them liked coloring in the dragon, 60% of them liked earning badges, 60% of them liked reading the story. And then only 54% said they liked coloring in the dragon, which is true like there were some folks that always wanted to do it and they were like me 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 and they were like grabbing the markers and then other people never came over to color the dragon ever which is fine you know like who knows if that's something people like to do i like to color so <laughs> i thought maybe people would but that was kind of the breakdown there so it gave us a little bit more information you know part of this was just like a fact-finding mission in a sense because there's virtually nothing out there regarding what graduate students might like if you are trying to gamify your class. So what I saw here uh, is that if you were to include a component, these data would recommend that you add in a points kind of system for them. And then in the, they, we allowed freeform comments as well. And that was were kind of the comments we got. A couple people said they did not bother to read the story, which is fine, that's their prerogative. <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, a few people also said they thought it would be more fun to have this as a competition amongst classes or between classes. So that was feedback that I have incorporated into my next version of this as well.
Nice. I'll be excited to hear about that. As far <laughs> as this particular study, looking at the data from the multiple baseline design, looking at the social validity data, what's sort of the takeaway? What's the, the big message on if this worked, if this is useful? I think, you know, if you look at the data overall, we see some nice increases once we did this type of intervention. And having done like a pilot version and then before that not having any version, I can say I do think that it was helpful. Now, what is hard to know is what part of this was helpful, right? right. I probably didn't need to have them color in a dragon and <sighs> I probably didn't need to make a 14 part story. <laughs> you know, it may just have been that I was so excited about all of these things that that was all that mattered. You know, maybe that's flattering myself. I don't know, <laughs> right? Um, or, or maybe it was just the added emphasis on guys, like you, you got to do this, right? So that's the thing is we still don't really know which of these pieces was important. Um, but I do think that there's, you know, so much of your behavior as a graduate student is solely controlled through negative reinforcement. Right. <laughs> um, that if there's any way that you can add in little bits of positive reinforcement, I think that that is well received, or at least your good intentions are appreciated. Um, well, good I, intentions is a good intentions is a good way of putting it because in your position as as practicum coordinator and as a as a professor, it's very easy, I think, to slip into sort of a negative reinforcement strategy or, or sort of approach. And so the fact that you did go through this trouble to really restructure it as a positive reinforcement sort of paradigm. I, I really hope they appreciated that. I think that's really cool. Yeah, thanks. I hope so too. <laughs> it is a lot of work for sure. Um, but I think that there's probably pieces you could take out of this. It might not be quite so much work or there might be other ways that you could you know, organize it without maybe the, the level of strenuous data collection that's required for publication that could make this doable and fun. If, if you're in charge of a practicum class. <laughs> so you talked about part of, the, part of the issue in sort of evaluating something like this is the fact that it's a package, right? And so what are the active components of that package? Were there other limitations or, or things that you sort of left open that you were interested in checking out from this project? For sure. Uh, yeah, so what you're bringing up about the, the package is a good one. And I did take the social validity feedback to make modifications to my next version. Let me first say an additional limitation of this is that we didn't have full participation from everyone in the class, right? Mm -hmm. So that really limited how we could uh, show the data and kind of talk about some of the data. And I don't think that that's singular to me or to this program. I think that at least in the literature that I've read, it, it's. I've seen that same trend, which is opting out at the graduate level from participation in research. And, and that's okay. I think grad students are just very stressed out and maybe don't <laughs> want, even though it was absolutely zero, zero percent more work for them in this context, you know, sometimes people are like, no, I don't want to do that. Right. Uh, so I respect that. Um, so, but that does function as a limitation just in the you know, presentation of these data and, and how we might be able to make generality statements here. Now, in, in the context of doing this study, I realized that I had 
played leapfrog here with my research in that I feel like I jumped over a major piece of it, which is I only gave them like a cursory initial explanation of what to do here, right? Mm-hmm. Which is like, uh, here's the video from the BACB, here are your field work requirements, memorize those, and then do your tracker, basically, right? I, right. I didn't do much more than that. So uh, after doing this, I said, what I really need to do is go back and make sure that I have the best system in place for teaching them how to properly fill out the tracker. Hmm. So while I don't, it's not quite a limitation here, it is in the sense that I, I don't know that what that piece is. What if I had just trained the heck out of it first and foremost, would I have seen higher levels of, you know, baseline responding, right? Or quicker uh, changes with respect to like minor feedback that I provided to them. So, so that's the direction I have been taking more recently is training people how to do the fieldwork tracker, which is a whole separate, separate thing that I can, can or cannot talk about depending on what you, what you want. I, I would love to hear about it if you're in a place where you can share. <laughs> yes. Um, so these data are, are in and um, accepted. Also, congrats. Yeah. I know. So, <laughs> um, so let, me, let me think so I can get my head around what to tell you about that. We designed a all online behavioral skills group training to teach people how to fill out the fieldwork tracker Hmm. and organized it around hypothetical data uh, little you know stories about people that were going to work and and doing and then going to practicum class and all the unrestricted things that they were doing in between and 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 taught people through modeling and then having them role play filling out the tracker and providing feedback how to fill in all the components with real data for for that study and that was successful in uh in teach people how to fill the tracker but i will tell you that it was also very intensive Mm. and it's just not it's not intuitive and it's hard and the trying to help people understand, you know, what are the fieldwork requirements? And then how are you gonna input them in, in here? And then in another piece, it's not in the study that's, that is accepted, but is in a future version. <laughs> um, then how are you gonna, if you give them a bunch of raw data, how are you gonna have them ensure that they can balance the tracker with respect to their restricted and unrestricted hours and group supervision and individual supervision and all that? right? It right. is so much. Um, and I is. just don't even, <laughs> you know, I, I, I want to make sure that I'm giving everyone the tools that they need. And I think that these are important skills for them, but it, it is proving to be, to as you get more and more into it, you're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And now and they need to learn this. Now they need to learn this. And I need to go I jumped all the way to the end point here. I need to go way back here and start here before I can get here. So um, I am excited to be able to continue to like look at these different pieces of 
what we're asking our trainees to do. And this is just, you know, these aren't even like the supervisory skills that we want them to learn. This is just so they can accrue their hours. Well, that's what I was thinking is you're, you're really hitting, I think, a really important point, which is how difficult, truly difficult it is to track your hours utilizing any type of form. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of nuance there. There's a lot of things to keep straight in terms of the supervision standards and then how to input that into the form. I would be interested to learn about what most supervisors do to orient people to that task list tracker. My suspicion is probably not a whole lot of time is going to be spent focused on that particular component. And you're saying, and you're showing with your research, uh, guys, we might want to pay a little bit closer attention to that because it's a lot more complicated than we're really giving it credit for. Yeah, I think so. Well, thanks for, for taking that on. Somebody certainly needs to do it. And again, having supervised a number of students utilizing this form I know that it's extremely difficult and and I'm I'm glad to see there's research coming out related to that. For people interested in either fieldwork tracker stuff or gamification, do you have any recommendations that people could go check out? Well, for fieldwork tracker stuff, no, not yet, because I don't know of anything in particular other than what's available on the BACB website. Right, of course. In this study, yeah, and then my upcoming study. study. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, for gamification, I I would throw it over to Zach Morford because he is our resident um, BCBA expert as far as I'm concerned on gamification and a cool guy too. Nice. (laughs) Cool. So those are phenomenal resources. Really interesting study. Anything else that you think the, the listeners would be interested in related to this topic? Uh, I think that this study is a good example of taking a real problem that you have, right, and applying both the principles of our science that we know and love and some creativity and personal reinforcers to the problem and then having it shaking out, shake out and see what you end up with. So I would encourage people to not get down when you have a hard problem that you're faced with, but think about the tools that you have and think about ways to make it fun for yourself and that will make it more fun for everyone else. I love that attitude and I think that's that's so important and I think it makes 100% sense that, that this article would be in behavior analysis and practice because that's sort of the ethos of that particular yeah. journal is how do we make practicing work? There are so many complications related to practicing behavior analysis and this very particular topic related to tracking supervision hours, extremely important. I'll be honest with you, I've mostly overlooked it. I've known it was difficult. I've of course dealt with issues related to it, but never have I thought, oh, I'm gonna turn that into a research topic. And so thank you for taking that on. And on the creativity side of thing, when I read this paper, one of the first things I thought to, or a question that I had was, what did the reviewers have to say about this? Did they like mention anything about the, the dragon no. component? No, they didn't <laughs> mention it at all. No, I don't think they did it at all, which is kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be a cool paper to, to review, just like being surprised by, oh, we got a 
sort of a uh, dragon themed intervention here. It's kind of neat, I thought. Yeah, I don't know. Some of my students thought I was silly, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, well, it's okay to be quirky, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Well, thank you for this paper. Thanks for coming on the show today to talk about the paper. Really interesting topic and, and we appreciate your, your energy on it. Absolutely, it was so fun. Thanks for having me. Thanks. All right, don't go too far. Remember to subscribe and like us on whatever podcast player you use. Find us and follow us on social media to stay up to date on our latest episodes and to suggest recent bat papers you think we should review on this show. Links are in the show notes. Finally, I want to say thank you to a few people for making this podcast happen. Thank you to Stephanie Peterson, the editor of Behavior Analysis and Practice, the journal. Thank you to ABAI for sponsoring this podcast. And thank you to my assistant producers, Elizabeth Nervaez and Jesse Perrin. Finally, as always, thank you to Jim Carr and his band, New Latitude, for letting us sample their song, Cruising Altitude, throughout this podcast. <laughs>